There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Welcome to episode 95 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley and after a couple of weeks on a Turkish beach, Jim Knight is here. Hello. And also, after a week in which he's seen Sir Elton John and shook hands and had a picture with Jeff Stelling, David Cameron Walker returns. Sounds like you've had a busy seven days. I have had a busy seven days. <laughs> Hang on, sorry, I, was, I wasn't really listening to you there, Mark, because I've just, I'm taken aback. Someone's just, someone's trolling me on Twitter, accusing me of being the sixth member of One Direction. <laughs> What? Crikey. Uh, I said, you don't know, open yourself up for that. That's yeah. a can of worms you don't want to deal with. We'll come back to that, maybe. Yeah. I wish I was. <laughs> Later in the show. For a um, variety of reasons. So, uh, last week on the show, when it was just me and Carl, you two didn't bother to turn up, it was um, talking about the first manager to be sacked in the Football League, and, of course, it happened the next day, as it usually does with us. Greg. So, Greg Abbott has gone. Hopefully, won't, there won't be uh, as many as uh, last year, but we're going to talk about a couple of clubs today. Um, which might see managerial changes soon because mm. later we're going to speak, or well, perhaps we'll see how yeah. we go. We're going to speak uh, to Ian Rands, Sheffield United writer, uh, blogger as well, who does the uh, Sheffield United uh, blog, A United View, uh, because David Weir hasn't won since the first day of the season, which already seems quite a long time ago, and they're in the relegation zone in League One. Uh, but first, oh, what about this defeat, uh, this defeat for Millwall on Saturday? It's poor, wasn't it? Real demoralising defeat, wasn't Millwall it? Millwall won. Derby 5 in the championship. Steve Lomas on the brink, you might say. Um, got a busy week coming up as well. Uh, Ted Robinson is the vice chair of the Millwall Supporters Committee and he's part of the Lions Live internet radio phone-in uh, every week, which gives Millwall fans the opportunity to have their say. That's on Thursdays. And we're pleased to say that Ted is on the phone right now. And um, Ted, uh, you've got two games uh, this week. Blackpool on Tuesday night. Um, tomorrow night as we record and Charlton on Saturday Steve Lomas got two games to save his job well I, I think I was saying um, before the Derby game actually Mark that uh, football as we all know is a results game you know if your results are going for you you're fine if they're not going for you then you're in trouble and I thought this month we had uh, three home games and, and one away which is literally an home game with Charlton I thought we had them four games to obviously get a few wins under the belt and actually start getting me all up the table. But um, having lost in the manner that we lost on uh, Saturday, I believe that, that that really has gone down to the next two games now. I think uh, Blackpool tomorrow night is a vitally important game and obviously they're top of the table and flying. And then we've got a local derby against Cholton and then we've got a nice friendly rivalry with Leeds that's coming up. So, But I think the next two games will be, will be vitally important for Steve Lomas. If we get two wins, then people will be obviously a bit happier and feel a bit more 
easier about the whole situation. If he loses, and if he loses in the manner the way we lost on Saturday, especially tomorrow night, I, I think it could be curtains for him after tomorrow night. I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't like to see that, not before such a big game for us with our local rivals against Charlton, but um, I, I can't see any way other than that because uh, every manager in every football club knows if they... Uh, get results the way that we've been getting results, your, your job's on the line. Ted, I mean, I know Millwall didn't have the best second half of, of last season. The form really tailed off, didn't it? And But but there, yeah. from what I from what I could see from the outside looking in, I, I worked with a few Millwall fans. There was there was a reasonable amount of optimism at the club this summer with Lomas coming in. You made some good signings, uh, you know, quite a lot of new faces into the club, particularly in the striking department. So, you know, what, what's what's gone wrong in the, in the first few games of this season for, for you to have such a bad start? It does take a little bit of believing, to be quite honest. Right? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we we got a, probably a more talented squad than we've had for a long time, Dan, if you look at the players and the ability that they've got. But the trouble is when you bring so many players in at such a short space of time, you've got to get them to gel together, you've got to get them to play together. It's been a bit unlucky, Steve Lomas, with a few injuries to like the one that Steve Morrison that's taken him out. Liam Trotter was coming back from an injury in that. But... It just hasn't gelled. And you have to look at the manager and the management team in a sense of we don't really seem to have any real pattern established at this moment in time. Every week there's a chopping and changing of the team because I think Steve Lomas is trying to find his best side. And in some ways he may have too many options. You know, uh, he's brought in a lot of decent players, a lot of good players. Scott McDonald's a good player. Um, Nicky Bailey's a good player. Sean Derry who's come in. These are all guys of proven championship quality. So our expectation levels did go up. But we also had a very young manager in the respect he'd never managed in the championship or he'd never managed in the football league. He was up in Scotland doing quite well, yeah, but before that it was non-league football. And so he's an inexperienced manager. And um, Mick Arthur coming on board and we was hoping would give him the experience to get him going, if you know what I mean. But he seems to be struggling. He seems to be a little bit naive. Some of his substitutions leave a little bit to be desired. And... Uh, I just hope, it, I mean, I hope beyond hope it works out for him because I don't think anyone at Millwall Football Club wants to go through a situation where we keep chopping and changing managers, but he's got to start doing something and he's got to start doing something soon. Would he have been your, your first choice uh, to get the job, Ted? I, I, I always like the feel of a young manager who's hungry, who wants to, to go somewhere, but I think the championship's such an odd division to get out of. Uh, we all know what's at the end of it, getting into the premierships, the you know, that's where all the money is and that's where every football club wants to be. But I, I believe that you need experience in this division. And uh, I think that's what's showing. You know, I, I think I would have preferred to have got somebody in that perhaps has, um, you know, just come out of the, the premiership, if possible, or just left the championship side, or even had a good record in, in League One. Someone like that, with experience at a football league, certainly the championship level would have been better. Otherwise, you're taking a bit of a gamble. It's all about sort of percentages when you employ people like Steve Lomas, you know, or or you could have the other end. Somebody was saying to me, "Day, if Steve Lomas goes, you've got Neil Warnock floating around." Well, Neil Warnock's got loads of experience, and you would expect a better return out of Neil Warnock than maybe you would give to Steve Lomas, if you know what I mean. But um, it's, it was a gamble. We hoped that this guy who had an impressive record up in Scotland was going to bring that down with him. He seemed hungry to, to the board, obviously, and they, they they took the gamble with him. And unfortunately, this moment in time, it's not working out. But I, I always go back to the old Alex Ferguson thing here where he was on the verge of being kicked out of Manchester United and he got one result and all of a sudden it all turned. And I, I'm not saying for one minute that Steve <laughs> Lomas is going to be Alex Ferguson, but he was a manager who was 
nearly on the on the brink of getting sacked, and he came back and, and developed Manchester United into what they are now. I just hope that Steve Lomas has a bit of luck tomorrow night, gets us a win under his belt, which is not a, a impossible. Although it's the bottom of the table going to the top of the table, but if he gets that one win. Who knows? The players might gain in confidence, and off we go. If we if we can beat Blackpool tomorrow and get a win at Charlton, I think Steve Lomas will be with us to the end of the season. If we don't, I think he may well be gone by the end of the week. Looking at some of the results, going a bit further back, Brighton got a decent result there, and yeah. two all draw with Sheffield Wednesday. So, and and even the defeats haven't been by too much. I mean, the Ipswich game aside, you, you know, you're losing these games by the odd goal until so, until yeah, Saturday. Until obviously. Saturday, yeah, uh, Saturday aside, yeah. have the performances been, you know, have they been that bad, or is it just a case of it not quite clicking up front? I can explain every game to you. If you I mean, we got. We, Yeovil was probably the worst sort of game you could get at the start of the season because uh, they, this is the highest they've ever been. They had a bit of momentum from getting uh, promoted. So it was a bit of a cup final to them, if you, if you like. Uh, the atmosphere and the amount of fans that they brought down. First taste of the championship. And basically, they nicked the game right at a death with a, a long-range shot that creeped into a corner. So then, there we go. We, we've lost that first one. Then off we go to Ipswich, give two own goals away and put ourselves right on the back foot. Another game that just passes by up until... The time when we went behind, we was probably slightly the better side. Then we got come home to Huddersfield. We should anybody that was there knows we shouldn't have lost that game by any stretch of the imagination. But give a silly goal away from a corner, a free header, and if you do that, you ain't going to win football matches. Then we come to the times when we started to pick up. We, we got a good point up at Sheffield Wednesday, deservedly, and then we got an even better point at Brighton in the game that I think we would have won if we hadn't had Alan Dunn sent off. And then we come to Derby, and unfortunately against Derby, it was one of them games I've been trying to puzzle it through my head in the last uh, couple of days, but I keep coming back to the same thing. Derby just had one of them days where everything went right for him. If you see the guy, Bryson, who scored the second goal and the third goal, the two strikes were superb from outside the box, and they flew into the back of the net, which you you don't see week in, week out. And everything that Millwall tried went wrong, including getting Shane Lowry sent off in in what started out as a 50-50 tackle and a clash and we go uh, a man down you know it, it just was one of them games that you have every now and again where the, your opposition were doing everything right and you was doing everything wrong so I'm hoping and praying that it's our turn tomorrow night Ted what, what's the, the mood of the fans obviously because you you speak to them on, on the Lions Live programme you're, you're the vice yeah. uh, chairman of the, of the supporters association I think you're at a meeting tonight as we, as we record this if that's right what's the mood yeah. on, the, on the terraces and with the fans at the club about Steve Lomas well, I think at the moment, we're, I say, if I say we're in shock, I, I'm not sure shock, it's a bit, a bit of disbelief because we can see that the players that we've got in this squad have got talent. I think the criticism is possibly now beginning to go more towards Steve Lomas because we feel the players are there, but we're not getting a team together. Now, Steve Lomas was always on to... Uh, hiding and nothing coming to Millwall because of his background of being a West Ham player. I personally don't think that's got anything to do with it. He's a manager now and his past is his past. And I know he's putting his heart and soul into Millwall and trying to get the results we get. But obviously that would lead to quicker criticisms, if you know what I mean, because it's something to relate to. And fans get frustrated, they get annoyed when they can't see a way out. And unfortunately in the Derby game, it was one of them games you couldn't see your way out of anything. So that leaves you deflated. But Hopefully tomorrow when we're coming up and turning up against the top of the table side have been playing well all season. We've not won. They've won most of their games. 
this division's so tight that if we can just get ourselves together and put a performance in tomorrow, it will ease the pain that, that, that is there for Steve Lomas at the moment. And then, of course, there's a massive local derby on Saturday. And if we can get a result there, I, hopefully Steve Lomas's career as a Millwall manager will be up and running. And come the end of the season, we'll be in the playoffs and winning the player final. Now, I'm a bit optimistic. <laughs> well, I tell you, as you say, this it wouldn't surprise you. This is exactly the sort of thing we see in this division. But, I mean, so the fans are one thing, and they, they do have uh, a certain influence, I suppose, over managerial changes. They can put pressure on and stuff. But really, the people who make the decisions are the are the club, your chief executives, chairmen. And I, I'm told that chair, the chairman, uh, John Berylson, who's who lives in the States, has actually flown over to come and you know see what's going on. So do you expect well, anything to come of, of that? Well, uh, as I've been told, that there, there was a board meeting planned for tomorrow anyway. Uh, it's not been called for the, the situation, if you know. I mean, he was already coming over, so maybe it's a coincidence, but he, they, you're right, he's coming over. And, and like I was saying at the beginning, results dictate. If, you, if you're the chairman of a football club or the chief executive of a football club and you see your team not getting the results that you expect week in, week out, there's only a certain length of time that you can give for that to carry on, if you know what I mean. You've got to come to some sort of decision sooner or later that we can't keep having this. And that's why I say the next week is so important for Steve Lomas to get, get results. I cannot see him being here at the end of the month if we don't get a win tomorrow or Saturday. I think, uh, you know, there's only the Leeds game after that. And I think after the performance Saturday, as I said earlier, I think it um, it could well be down to tomorrow night and, and Saturday, which is a lot of pressure for a, for a manager to be under. But Steve Lomas is saying the right things. He accepts that things ain't going right and he's, he's trying his hardest to put it right. But he, he's under pressure, obviously, from the board. He will be there, be demanding better results than we're getting. And... Uh, as I say, unfortunately, we stand the results and it's the next two results that will uh, either make him sink or swim. Certainly will. And Ted, I think you knew this question was coming. Saturday, the uh, the trouble with Adam Smith down there on the right-hand side, uh, getting yeah. pelted with coins and then the uh, the Millwall fan who ran all the way across the pitch and wasn't chased by a steward. How disappointed were you uh, to see scenes like that at the New Den again? Oh, look, it's, it's always disappointing. You never want to see that. I, I mean, uh, the guy that ran on the pitch, I, I mean, I don't know what he thought he was doing. And, and it was a bit disappointing. It seemed to take an age before anyone realised that he was he was there. But I, I've said before, that guy will be dealt with by Millwall Football Club. They, they'll find out who he was. or As I understand, he was detained outside. And he'd get banned. It, it, you, know, you can't run onto a football field like that. And the only way you can deal with that is by actually punishing that person itself. You know, People have been saying to me over the weekend that the FA should be punishing Millwall and this and that. How can you prevent one guy who wants to run on a pitch? You have to punish the, the person that does it. And he will quite, quite rightly be banned from coming to Millwall for three years, probably. And the, the throwing of coins is disappointing as well. But it, it's something that happens all around the country, unfortunately. Millwall, again, are not the only football club that have people that think it's all right to do that. But I've always been of the same mind when it comes to that. If they can find the guys that throw the coins or throw anything on the pitch, again, they should be banned. These individuals are the ones that deserve to be punished, not the football club. The football club can only do as much as they can do. It was disappointing that the guy who got on the pitch wasn't dealt with earlier or never got to earlier, but... I'm sure they'll be looking at that, Bill Warren. Hopefully, hopefully we don't ever get them scenes again, by the way. But, but um, if it does occur again, it'll be dealt with a lot quicker. Ted, I think that's, you're totally right. Um, you know, I think there was some trouble at uh, QPR on, on Saturday between them and the Birmingham fans. And 
you know, we talked about this this last season when you had the trouble in the FA FA Cup against Wigan. If it happens at, at Millwall, unfortunately, the headlines are quicker to come when it's Millwall. And as you say, it needs to be dealt with by the club. It, it, the track record says that it will be dealt with by the club and we really shouldn't make a too much of a, of a big deal out of it. It happens, it's disappointing and we need to just, you know, make sure that that's known and that's clear, condemn it and move on. Well, look, we played AFC Wimbledon earlier in the season, the Capital Cup, not the biggest football club around and that, but they set a flare off in the stand and there was a punch up with our stewards. The police went in and dealt with them. And my point being that I get fed up with people sort of pointing the finger at Millwall saying, your, your fans are doing this, your fans are... There's fans like these idiots, if I can put it politely that way, in every football club across the nation. Like, and until people start realising that, then they can start dealing with the problem as a whole. Not, not point the finger easily at, at, at clubs like us who are media darling when it comes to this sort of thing. But these things, as you quite rightly point out, they don't get the attention that one fan from Millwall that runs across the pitch does. And that's not to excuse that guy. Like I say, he's, any of these people have to be dealt with and dealt with properly. If it's a criminal offence, the police will deal with them. It's a, uh, just encroaching on the pitch like that. And the Millwall Football Club will do them and they will be banned. And that is the only thing you can do with them, I think. OK, let's, let's end on a positive then. Um, give us a couple yeah. of reasons why you think Millwall fans should still be positive about this season, despite the fact that you're uh, down there at the bottom of the league. Uh, can I have half out to think about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it, football's a funny game and it, it can change around within an instant. I don't, I, if, if I remember rightly, this time last year, after six games, Crystal Palace were in the bottom three. I, find, I think you'll find I'm, I'm right in saying they finished off, up. Yeah. Go- they were far off and they finished up going up. Uh, you know, it, and we're not that. If you look at the table and actually look at the points. We're not that many wins away from getting up to the playoffs, if you know what I mean. That's how tight everything is. You can go on a run of games and have three wins and you'll be halfway up the table. So hopefully, if it turns around tomorrow night, we get our first win. I'll say all of a sudden, confidence is such a big thing in a football team and uh, get that little bit of confidence in there and we might just run and run and run and go on a good run of four or five wins or four wins and a draw and all of a sudden find ourselves halfway up the table being a very difficult side to beat. And the second, you know, from, from here on into the end of the season, we'll be a, a good championship side that doesn't get involved in the relegation. It, it can happen, but then I'm a dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much for coming on, Ted, and uh, best of luck for the rest of the season. Uh, that is uh, Ted uh, Robinson, who is the uh, the vice chair of the Millwall Supporters Committee and is also part of Lions Live, which you can listen to by going to millwallsupportersclub.co.uk or downloading it on iTunes. Right, let's move on to League One then. And it also doesn't make particularly good reading if you're a Sheffield United fan at this stage of the season. The Blades have taken just one point from their last six games. Only that one win on the opening night against Notts County. Uh, The latest defeat being two previously rock-bottom Carlisle 1-0 at the weekend. Not the start that David Weir would have wished for, no doubt. And uh, how long before the Vultures start to circle at Bramwell Lane? Let's speak to uh, Ian Rands, a Sheffield United uh, blogger. Uh, does the uh, the blog United View on football? We've had him on the show a couple of times before. Um, Ian, so um, are you starting to worry? Um, yes, <laughs> um, I was someone who sort of uh, preached patience at the start of this season. I, I thought you know the plan for Weir would not necessarily be an immediate return to the Championship in his first season in charge. We might have a season of consolidation, but I think fans, other fans might have agreed with that. But I don't think we had quite anticipated the kind of start we've had and. To be honest, we are struggling to see where 
the next goal comes from, never mind the next victory. Um, we're playing some nice possession passing football, but largely in our half. Um, I think on Saturday at Carlisle, we, we finally breached um, the Cumbrians' 18-yard uh, box in the last five minutes. Um, so... Um, it's, it is it is worrying, I would say, very worrying. Ian, I remember watching you on the first game of the season on the Friday night. You know, you kicked off the Football League season and you did it in a reasonable amount of style. I thought you looked really good that night. You kept the yeah. ball, you were you were incisive in possession, you created quite a lot of chances and, you know, perfect start to the season. But it's just not gone at all to plan since then. Um, was that, you know, a bit of a one-off, that performance? Or has there been hints in any of these performances where you haven't got the results that things could improve? I, I think there's probably three three factors at play and in hindsight it's a wonderful thing but obviously we were playing an Ox County side that was down to 10 men for a large proportion of the match so we probably found more space to play in I think it was probably quite a poor Knox County side judging by their form since that game but also um, the man who made us tick that night was Kevin McDonald who uh, David Weir had prepared uh, pre-season changed his formation so we're sort of playing uh, back four with two sort of holding midfielders in front, um, three players then just playing um, off a front man. And Kevin McDonald was the sort of central uh, of those three players in an advanced midfield role. And by David Weir's own admission, he built his sort of tactical plan around McDonald playing that role. And obviously, he's now departed to Wolves. And we've signed players like Jose Baxter, who had a great goal return from midfield for Oldham last season. But, you know, no one's quite that same kind of player as McDonald to play that role. Um, and that's part of the problem we've got. We're just not advancing into the opposition half with any sort of thrust uh, you know, or attacking verve. And, you know, we're relying on, now we're relying on two strikers without really a link player to them. The strikers he's tried up there, Chris Porter's had a go. We signed Lyle Taylor, who scored, I think, 30 goals for Falkirk last season in the Scottish First Division. He's looked lost up front on his own. And then we've played... Joanne side, who's one of our sort of academy graduates who hasn't got a league goal to his name, and it's just really demoralising to watch. So I think, I think like I say, we, we we were lucky in terms of obviously playing against ten men, and I think as I say, the quality of the Notts County side isn't what we've seen in previous years. They're shown of some of their better players, and obviously we're lacking Kevin McDonald, who on his day is is the best footballer we've had at that club in the last three years. I'm just um, reading Ian a blog that has been done for us on our site today by uh, uh, Ian Parks. We are going up .co.uk. Nice plug. And um, Ian talks in it about the, the system that uh, Weir is playing and the lack of width, which he thinks is disappointing. Would you would you go along with that? Yeah, I would. I mean, obviously, he's, he's playing um, these three players just behind the front man. And I think we, we've, we've got players, we've got players who have been called wide men for the last few years, but don't really seem comfortable out wide or, or are played on the, the opposite side so they always cut cut inside players like Ryan Flynn, Jamie Murphy and you know it's interesting they were both bombed out of the, the squad on, on, on Saturday um, so you know I'm not sure they were, they were injured or not but there's been a lot of rumours about why they were suddenly not playing and, and it really is I mean we just we, we are very narrow we, we, we rely on, on in the past on fullbacks who bombed on if you remember when we had Matthew Lowton um, you know, a few years back, we we were at, we had good overlapping fullbacks alongside players that weren't natural wide players in Stephen Quinn and Lee Williamson. We haven't got the fullbacks to do that. So a, a huge part of what must be David Weir's game plan is that the fullbacks, I think he anticipated bombing forward, have struggled defensively. I.e. Westlake and uh, Williams, 
and now he's he's playing around with two less mobile fullbacks in Tony McMahon and and Matt Hill. So, you know, I think I think he seemed happy enough to to sacrifice the wide players at the start of the season, but the system just isn't working for us anymore. What's the mood been like amongst the fans? Um, is anyone getting on David Weir's back? Is there is there growing pressure or is there a patience uh, at Bramall Lane? As I say, I think a few of us were trying to uh, preach. A lot of us were trying to preach patience at first, but you know, um, I think someone said to me on on, on Saturday night on Twitter, you, "You're sort of one of the more rational blades," and I'm worried when you're, you know, hmm. you're sounding nervous and worried. You know, I, I think the, the the really worrying point for me was I wasn't at Carlisle on Saturday, but I heard the commentary and one of our former players, Keith Edwards, was co-commentating and he, he went into a sort of diatribe at the end of the commentary that was just absolutely scathing on what was going on at the club. And to then hear David Weir come on the radio seemingly lost for ideas. You know, he's saying we keep asking questions, but we haven't got any answers yet. You know, and it's, he, he, he tried to reassure us that the players believe in his system. But from what I understand from people who were at Carlisle, there was very little evidence of that. In fact, the players seemed rather like robots, you know, not able to do anything away from what they've been told to do. Um, there's just a lack of invention and thought there. So I think I think that interview in many ways was a, a real sort of um, wake-up call for the fans and it really, you know, created the, the, the levels of concern and worry about, you know, how do we arrest this slide that we're in. Looking at the results as well, you've, you've lost two big derby games against uh, yeah. Bradford and Rotherham. You've been dumped out of the cup at home to Burton and the lack of goals, as you say, is the, the main factor when you look at the, this, uh, this sort of list of scores. Yeah, absolutely. There is, there is little... The strikers we're playing up there aren't, I don't think, are capable of playing up as a lone front man. Um, we're certainly not getting the players footing out from midfield. You know, we've, we've, we've got Stephen McGinn, who was a, you know, a promising, you know, talented link player at Watford before he got injured, and yet he's when he has played, he's sitting in a deep role with Michael Doyle, who's the captain. Or we've got Connor Cody from Liverpool, young England under twenty captain on loan. Both of them sitting so deep, and without the fullbacks pushing on, without you know these midfielders uh, pushing on, we're just not getting the players forward at all. Um, I think that, I mean it's quite interesting. You, a lot of the fans seem to have turned into um, into Mike Bassett over the last couple of games. You know, demanding a switch to four four two, and I don't know if switch to four four two is the answer. But certainly, I think when we're keeping every man back at a corner, when we're one nil down with five or ten minutes to go, you know, when we're not getting players forward into the bot against a team, by the way, you've shipped loads of goals this season already, Carlisle. Exactly. Exactly, it, it, you know, we, we, it was it's it's so negative and unadventurous in that respect. You know, and the other side of it was, you know, when we're, we're one nil down, and he takes one striker off and replaces it with another striker, we don't go with two strikers. I think it's this reluctance to have well, this apparent lack of a plan B, or a reluctance to use a plan B that has really got the fans worried because is he just being is David Weir just being extremely stubborn and sticking by his beliefs? At which point, you know, I mean, Coventry. I've gone past us now and they started on minus 10. You know, how long do we do we give it? Do you think David Will will change things though? Because I'm just looking at the, the upcoming games and it doesn't make particularly good reading if you're a Sheffield United <laughs> fan no. because you've got Preston at home, uh, then Wolves away, then uh, Crawley at home and then Coventry. Three of those are kind of the, in the top four or five of the, the form team. Exactly. So surely he's got to He's got to wake up and change things, hasn't he? And try and uh, mix things up a little bit to, to, to get some results out of those games. Because let's be honest, if you don't get you know six or seven points out of those things, do start to look very, very grim indeed. Yeah, I, I honestly, I mean, I think the worst thing that would happen for the club is to actually start changing a manager again. 
I think it shows the the, the, the sort of um, hastiness of, of getting rid of Danny Wilson last season. Yes, we were drawing lots of games. Yes, we were on a little bit on the slide, but we're still in the top six when he was sacked. And we'd only lost three games all season. You know, we've lost like five already uh, this season. It's, it's difficult to see how long he's got. And if he doesn't change things, I can see the mood and the atmosphere at Bramall Lane turning turning quite nasty. I mean, the other factor in this, obviously, is as well is having the, the new investor in there. Well, Lena, um, I, was going, I was going to ask you about that as my next question, really. I mean, it's, it's something as well that, that's lingering there in the background because you've had this takeover from Saudi Arabia, Prince Abdullah bin Mossad bin Abdulaziz Al Saud. Prince Abdullah, we'll call him for short. The, yeah, well, gran- well, the grandson yeah. of the the grandson of the founder of the kingdom of of Saudi Arabia. So this guy has got a lot of money, um, yeah. and he's although in the, you know news that probably David Weir didn't want to hear. He's come out with a dreaded vote of confidence and backed him and said, uh, giving him his support, but. This has got to be weighing on the mind of David Weir and supporters. You know, is there going to be a change? Does he want to bring in his own man? I mean, he's only 50% um, owner, isn't he? He's still Kevin McCabe's there yeah. alongside him. But, you know, what, what's the deal with that? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, we've certainly, in making some of the signings we've made, I think it's been in anticipation of the money coming in. You know, we've paid fees for Jose Baxter, Florent Cavalier from Stoke. So we've, we've signed some good, young, talented players with this money. I think the fans are desperate to see some more signings come in, and I guess we'll see that once we've got to the point in the loan window where we can you know, keep a player uh, through the Christmas period. But quite who and whether they'll want to advance any monies to, to David Weir for that if we're still struggling, you know, who knows? It's difficult to say with these things. You, know, you, you hear very positive talk from from the Prince and his advisors and uh, when they come on board. I guess we'll find out over the next few weeks. I just, I think it's a very, very difficult thing to predict. I think the, the stabilising influence in many ways of Kevin McCabe might might counter any any move to get rid of the manager. However, you know, Kevin McCabe was clearly part of the decision to, to act Danny Wilson at a, a vital stage of the season last season. So maybe, that, maybe I'm wrong to believe in that there's an element of stability there. Ian, I guess just finally I was going to ask, I mean, you're 21st in the table, four points from seven games. Let's you look at the the, the sixth place team, MK, MK Dons, of 13. The top two have got 16 and 18, respectively. It's not unheard of for a team at your position at this stage of the season to have something change and go on a great run of form, but it would certainly take a real turnaround and a real consistent, prolonged run of good form for you to get into the promotion picture this season at some point. So you're looking at maybe a fourth season down in League One. You know, you're always the team that people, you know, who perhaps don't look too closely at, at what's going on just on your name predicted to be one of the promotion rivals because of your pedigree and where you've been before. I mean, do you worry that you're actually going to be stuck down in League One for, for quite some time to come? Um, I think I was worried about that during the course of last season when we started to fall away, to be honest. I think the longer you're down there, the more difficult it is to get out. Certainly, you know, the, the money that would just be coming into the club can help with that, but, you know, money's no, no guarantee of, of any success. I mean, obviously, Bournemouth, I think, were promoted from a very similar start last season but I honestly can't see that with United this season to, to be sort of top after table and then look for promotion next season would be the aim but yeah it's another another season down here I, I, I guess I'm thankful that there's, there's an element of investment there to sort of stabilise the club because um, obviously many clubs have stayed down you know, for a longer period of time have, have subsequently 
struggle not just on the pitch but financially as well go get yourself a beer Ian chin up <laughs> I'll try <laughs> try and enjoy the rest of the season thanks very much for coming on no problem that's uh, Ian Rands a uh, big Sheffield United fan uh, blogger as well writes the blog A United View on Football right now it's time for another little uh, episode of My Club celebrating uh, the various football league clubs and their fans in 125 seconds and this week we are staying in Yorkshire it's Bradford City this is We Are Going Up My Club in 125 seconds Hello, my name's Mark Scully and my club is Bradford City OK Mark, first game you attended then at Valley Parade Can you remember it? Um, I can, just about um, We played Swans at home 1993 um, What was the old Division 2, now League 1 uh, my brother was mascot and the game finished 0-0 and uh, what would be your best moment it's probably been a few what would be your best moment as a Bradford fan um, yeah it's been a few I would probably say beating Aston Villa last season at home 3-1 the moment when Rory Mercado scored I've never celebrated a goal like it's an <laughs> unbelievable atmosphere so that was better than the promotion yeah I think mean, the, the promotion you, you could kind of expect but to be to be Villa in the cup run alone was just there's something special and no club from League 2 will ever probably repeat it ever again to be honest you've obviously had a lot of ups and downs over the time as a, as a Bradford City fan who's the, your favourite player you've ever uh, um, you've ever seen in a Bradford City shirt um, I'd have to say Peter Beagre the things he could do with football were just, just magical to be honest and even yesterday I went to a charity game which Beagre was playing in I mean I don't know what he is now mid-40s probably and he was still the best player on the park with his tricks and his flicks and just yeah unbelievable player to watch really Okay, some quick fire ones. Your best manager? Paul Jewell. Your worst manager? Uh, Jim Jeffries. I said no, Peter Taylor. He was rubbish. <laughs> Your favourite Brad- Bradford goal ever? Um, James Hansen at Villa Park. Favourite shirt? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> favourite like kit? Which season has had your best the best kit? Um, I'd probably say the first one in the Premier League. I thought it was a classic. JCT sponsor, is that? What was the sponsor? Uh, JCT 600, yeah. 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 Okay, and what about the worst moment you've experienced as a Bradford City fan? Aside, aside of the relegation, I suppose, I think um, I'd probably say watching us uh, get absolutely battered by crew on the last day. A couple of years ago, we lost 5-1. Um, I went on my own to the game. I had to leave at half-time and we were 4-1 down. Just absolutely spying with perfected performance. I don't know. Talk about sort of ending it on a yeah, high. On a, on a high. <laughs> my club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. So we'll have another one of those on the show next week. And, uh, oh, quick update on your uh, your troll. How's that going? Uh, no, it's all fine. Okay. He's not come back to you yet? No, no, I, I don't get involved with these people. I'm <laughs> waiting outside I'm your house a, for you, mate. He, he, he actually, he's, he's actually... Uh, not necessarily trolling me. It's kind of a backhanded compliment, I suppose. So okay, right. Well, we'll leave that there. Let's uh, look at the weekend's action. I said it's been a bit down. We've had Millwall and uh, Sheffield United. Uh, so what about cheering ourselves up by going, do, do, do. Let's all do the conga. Do, do, do. We're British somber longer. That's about and the fourth time what, we've already done that. that you should do scoring. some conga after that first goal that he scored oh. against Bristol City. That's an astonishing strike. Was it left foot, top corner from outside the box? And then and then a composed little chip as well for his second goal. I mean, every time we see it, I, I said at the time, maybe it's a good move for both parties, but I don't know if it is. I, it, this is a guy that is banging them in week in, week out for Peterborough. It looks like he's getting better and better of every game. And whereas, whilst we're struggling in the last couple of games to put the ball in the net, and you just think, well, why? Should have been a season-long loan. Zola said that loan was what they wanted to do, but then the money, I think, tempted Watford's hand and they've taken it. And I think there was a buyback clause, but, you know, 
just it, you just don't have, you can't ever look at it and think well, you know this guy's going to be some player and maybe we've missed out uh, on a real on a real find here. Uh, okay, Jim, you were at a game this weekend. I was. And uh, you were at the uh, the KP Stadium on Saturday yep. for Leicester 2, Wigan nil. What did yep. you make of it? Yeah, pretty good performance. I was a little bit, not disappointed, but surprised at how poor Wigan were, to be honest, because a lot of people have built it up as our most important game so far in the season, because obviously Wigan were up there at the top of the, uh, the bookies list for promotion this year and well fancied. Obviously, I know that they uh, have a lot of games coming up and that's what I was going to touch on. But yeah, it was a good performance. Liam Moore getting his first Liam goal Moore, for the club. Again, mentioned him a Great couple celebration. of weeks ago and he went mental, kicked a hole in the advertising audience. And he just, you can just tell he's been with the club since he was seven in the academy and yeah. just worked his way through, uh, lives locally, born locally. So kind of all, all he's ever known is Leicester, the poor lad. Um, so he, yeah, it means the world to him. And I'm starting to worry now seriously that come the summer he will be uh, on his way. But... Yeah, it was a it was a great performance. And what about Wigan's fixture pileup, though? Yeah, um, th- there was a bit of preamble going on, and we were looking at their fixture list and saying this is uh, their game against us was their f- their first of four in seven days. So that <laughs> includes a trip to Sheffield Wednesday away on Tuesday um, tomorrow, as we record a flight to Belgium to to play their first Europa League game, and then back to play Ipswich Town away on uh, the Sunday so that's a pretty hefty pile up and considering they've already got uh, you know a few injuries Grant Holt's out for about another month or so uh, and, and they look kind of just a little bit de- dejected and disjointed so what they're going to look like after that long <laughs> trip to Belgium I, I don't know it's not that long is it well I was there fair, at the weekend it's fairly sizable when you uh, consider you've played three games two hours in a couple took of me days. two hours on the train well, on a flight you could probably do it quicker than that I think well. um, let's uh, let's talk about a game you were at Dave a couple of weeks ago because uh, yes. technically this hasn't actually happened this week no. uh, but we did mention last week, me and Carl, that it'd be good to get your opinion on uh, the scenes at the end of the Bristol Derby. Well, not just the, the scenes at the end. I mean, the, the, the scenes, scenes during, during, the, during game. the game were pre- impressive enough. Fantastic atmosphere inside Ashton Gate. One of the loudest I've, I've heard, really. It was, it was a very fierce crowd. Uh, Bristol Rovers fans were trying to to cause a bit of trouble and the, the police came along and sort of quelled their, their anger for, for, a, for, a, for a time but the, the, I was really really impressed with, with Bristol City I must say especially first half fantastic first goal from uh, Jay Emmanuel Thomas absolute belter of a shot from about 30 yards out of nowhere real shot where you just think well, he's got the ball in the middle and he just has a look up bang is in Christ, and then the whole the whole stadium. You're a new drinking buddy, isn't he? Uh, well, we were in the bar later on, and, and there was a lot of players in there. And, my, and Sean, who did the my club for us, yeah. uh, got uh, slightly inebriated because it was his birthday in his defence, and went up to have a conversation with Jay Emmanuel Thomas, which he did, but he cannot remember what he said to him. So, <laughs> Christ knows what he what he must have said to him. But anyway, um, very impressed with with the with the football they played. They were, you know, they didn't look to make the easy pass. They kept possession, but they wanted to always make that pass that would you know advance them up the pitch, and they were. In, incisive as well as having possession but at the end of the game everyone just ran on you could see they're all waiting they're the, they on the advertising hoardings as you know ready to go on as the final whistle went and the final whistle went and everyone ran on did a big pitch invasion the stewards tried to do something about it but they couldn't really and then something I've never seen before at a football match and it was quite an impressive and somewhat a, a daunting sight uh, a cavalry of about eight or nine police horses just came into the ground at the far end of the ground mm. from from where the Bristol City fans were on because they were all going up to the Rovers fans and just charged <laughs> like something out of the Napoleonic Sorry. Wars. It was Crikey. amazing and you sh- you've never seen pace like it from the Bristol City fans, <laughs> I tell you. Tell you what, it's not, <laughs> their, the players. it's not held their league form though, that result, no, has it? Another no, it defeat of the weekend there. Another team um, have come down, very much them and Peterborough going in very much opposite directions having come down from the Championship. Uh, let's go on to talk about diving. 
Uh, it's been in the headlines uh, the weekend, not just in the Football League, but with Ashley Young in the Premier League as well. And I'm going to attempt this name, Pavel Probrebniak. Pogrebniak. You've got a mare there. Have I? Pogrebniak. Pogrebniak. Yeah. Pog. Okay. The Pog. Okay, Pog. Poggy. Now Paul Pogba's gone. He, he um uh, Poggy got sent off for a second yellow. I've just, uh, um, I've just seen seen this game now. Just had a quick look at the uh, the incident, and uh, yeah, it, it, it looked poor, like didn't it? Run on to get the ball. Yeah, there. I know. It's very poor. Needless, isn't it? wasn't it? I just brainless. Think, is, do you reckon there is a bit more of a clampdown from refs now? They're yeah. kind of going. I, you hope, know, well, I hope there is because it's depends what you mean by clampdown. Because you mean just looking at the Premier League stats, you know, you got someone like Gareth Bale who's been booked six times for diving in the last two seasons, yeah. and a host of other players, who, including the likes of Ashley Young. Uh, Balotelli got a few, I think, when he was over here. They, they you know, if, if referees do see what they believe to be a blatant simulation, as they call it, then they are booking. Players. Yeah, I mean, perhaps sometimes though, when players do are already you want on red a, cards, or no, players might already be on a yellow. You'd think that sometimes all the refs wouldn't to send the, them off, but in that yeah, case, all credits to first time he, he them off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem you have though is just you get into very muddy waters of interpretation and saying what's a dive, what's not a dive. Was there contact? Does that mean it can? Can you still dive if there's contact? In the case of Ashley Young, he got booked yeah. when when there was contact. And we've seen other players, you know, in similar situations. So I think you're getting very messy, but they've got to try and do something about it because it's cheating, isn't it? Can I, can I tell you what, the, what was, is. the was contact with was that uh, Joe was uh, tackle on, uh, yes. yeah, plenty, on my days. Plenty of contact. Unne- completely there? unnecessary. And, and he was having a really good game before that. That was Nigel de Jong-esque, wasn't it? Yeah, no need. Was. Okay, let's talk about um, an in- a sort of topic that's been uh, on the agenda of many on Twitter in the last couple of days, um, and that is Nottingham Forest's. Uh, somewhat slightly um, odd stance, as, I can, as far as I can tell, with the media blackout at the moment. They're Ridiculous, doing, isn't doing really well on the pitch. Another Billy win at the Davis weekend. does his post-match press conferences before the game. Well, he yeah. started he this against that. Leicester, he, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did that. Uh, that was the first time they'd done it. And End of last season. A lot season. of the journalists just well, kind of dismissed When people say post-match it. press conferences, why are they saying post... Does it's he, a pre-match. Uh, Exactly. Does not he sit down and try and predict the future? Yeah. Oh, I don't understand. Like, well, it's it, complete nonsense. This is why it was a really weird dynamic, because of all the games to pick to start this weird trend, he picked a game which both of the teams were potentially in or out of the top six. And, you know, Forrest were on a fantastic run. Leicester were dropping like a stone and a local derby to boot as well. So it was it was a ridiculous decision. It's obviously something that's just spiralled out of control. And obviously with the uh, the Daniel Taylor, the Guardian. Yeah, Daniel Taylor's written quite well. Uh, well about this. It's well worth checking out his tweet longer, his tweet, which he's written a, a full breakdown of loads of questions he'd like to ask to the club. Well, about he did it. a whole piece in the Guardian mm. as well yeah, yesterday did, yeah. about it. And, you know, it's not just the Guardian... You know that have that have fallen foul of this of this blackout as you like doesn't do any TV interviews. I uh, don't think Billy Davies and uh, and it, I mean it's just I don't I don't see why he's doing it because all it does is heap negative press onto the club at a time when they're actually doing really well. But the insinuation that I read was that Jim Price, who's one of the the kind of senior guys on the on the board there, the kind of managing yeah. behind the scenes, is is actually restricting what news comes in and goes out and who gets the access to what. So it's not necessarily Billy Davis doing all of it well, himself. No, there not. is there is kind of pressure yeah, yeah, yeah. from within, if you like, to to think. But as you say, you know, fulfilling their uh, their media duties only just, but then kind of controlling what comes in and goes out is is ridiculous. Well, but then, but then you know, what do they? Actually, what lose. are they achieving by doing? What, it? What, uh, yeah, I mean that's a valid question. But do they? Why do they have to do? In, you know, it's, it's an obligation to do, say, interviews with your broadcasters who yeah. pay you money. You know, you get money from broadcasters. But do they? Do they I'm, 
complete could be speaking complete ignorance here without the inner knowledge of the workings of, of how these things work but do you get money from papers for doing it does it do he, does he need to speak to papers can he just say well if you're is right, breaking you can any do. law your, or is he just it's your press box you yeah. can restrict access and that's exactly what they've done in daniel taylor's case they've said look you came to it it was in relation to a game in march 2013 so last season against wolves when uh forest were obviously on the way up and wolves were on the way down and he went and he attended the match in the press box and didn't write a match report. And that's why, that's the incident that they've cited in the last couple of days that's come through. And they, that's why they've said, your, your publication practice, is though, no longer welcome in the press box. Uh, he says one of his points, the Guardian emailed Forrest explaining that I'm the resident Forrest expert, uh, so would have to do all the writing, previews, features, etc. if the club had reached the playoffs uh, last season. Yeah. But uh, they banned him from from going to the games and going in the press box. So it's kind of self-defeating, you think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. right, let's move on. Talk about another blinder of a goal from junior Stanislas for Burnley against Blackburn in the big derby game yeah. at lunchtime on oh, and then Saturday. An and then a ridiculous yeah. goal for Jordan Rhodes. Yeah. Didn't know Probably much about the, yeah, it, did he? The, but he I thought the, uh, the move that led to the Stanislas goal was one of the best bits yeah. of football in the it Football League this and weekend. And really good move. Sean Dyche's Burnley team looks like they have been playing some nice football this Definitely. season. It's been a very positive start for them. But yeah, a ridiculous own goal yeah. and which leads us nicely on to the man of the weekend Newport County's Tom Naylor oh dear Tom. <laughs> we record this to, uh, on a Monday evening and Swansea are currently playing Liverpool which we can see on the TV in the studio and everyone tomorrow will be talking about John Joe Shelby and the mayor that he's had well, at least he scored a goal in the right end in this That's game true. despite assisting two Liverpool goals Tom Naylor scored two own goals and to rub salt <laughs> into the wounds brings the Morecambe player down for a penalty just to rubber stamp the nightmare that he had. I mean, one of those days where he just wants to forget about it and move on, but an absolute shocker. And uh, four wins in a row for Morecambe. Yeah. They've really turned uh, things around after their, their start to the season. Uh, OK, right, let's talk about a team who've just had an absolutely blistering start, Jim, and that's Coventry City, who uh, not only, as we mentioned last week, are on uh, out with the negative points, they're also now out of the relegation zone. Yeah, for all the talk of the, the doom and gloom, and you know, we spoke to a few of the guys there about the uh, the, the points deduction and things, and they've they've eaten that up in no time. And so they'd be they'd be the fifth, positive. wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. on, on true it, form, it, they'd be fifth. Yeah. And you know, the fact that they have overturned that uh, that deficit so quickly, you know, there's nothing to stop them going up and if they carry on the way they are they'll, they'll make the playoffs Callum Wilson it's only in the middle of September and he's on eight goals already all the talk about these home games as well at home in inverted commas being played at six fields they seem to have a fantastic record there now they're to kind I of make so, it I their own I did sort of mention that at the start and I know the fans disagree with this and I completely I completely understand and I'm on the side of the Coventry fans in this whole thing but I just wondered whether moving away from that just toxic environment just the Rico which come to embody everything that had been wrong with the club yeah. for so long whether that might have given them a bit of freedom and just a change of environment could have helped things I don't know whether it has or not could be complete coincidence but you know they're doing well so far well they're certainly the best team playing at that ground so far this season <laughs> yeah. that is for sure because yeah. yeah. Northampton have had a horror start seven games and just four points just the one win I mean and that home form last season was so good wasn't exactly it? Nowhere to be seen. completely abandoned them just the one win against Newport they did have a lot of chances on the, the week weekend against Exeter Clive Platt in particular yeah. have had a hat-trick well really. Exeter hadn't won away from home since February and even that uh, win last year was against a team who were really struggling I can't quite remember who it was at the top of my, top of my head now so they're, they're by no means uh, good on the road no. and um, yeah but they won a up in that game as well Northampton at the weekend they yeah. were yeah and I've seen I saw Ben uh, Trasler our resident Northampton fan giving Boothroyd a couple of games basically to, to keep his head above the water. Wow. So, you know, they do need results quickly. Might be a similar story in the championship for Dougie Friedman as well. Bolton's worst start in 50 years. 50 
years. They didn't. Defensive calamity I don't, don't think they had a, coming, don't they? Did they have a shot on target against Leeds? I don't think they had a shot on target on Saturday in a, in a must-win game. Yeah, well, it's not good enough, is it? Absolutely not, no. And, you know, of all the talk about these managers that are... Uh, that are under pressure. He's certainly one of them, isn't he? He's probably at the top of the list, really, in the championship, considering the resources that he's got and the, the, the you know, the way he came into the club and what happened then. And, well, yeah. it's just interesting, though, isn't it? Because you know, right, if this run keeps on going, it's similar to when we were talking about with Steve Lomas and Millwall earlier on, is and Sheffield United for that matter. You do have these real big decisions to make because you could equally, you know, look at a club like Peterborough last season who lost their first six games, stuck with the manager and did recover yeah. to have a really good run. Oh, they went down Very, in the end. They like, stayed up on the last day. As a club, I'd say they're in a much more stable position now, even though yes. they've been gone down than they would would have been if they'd perhaps changed manager and got it wrong. And, and it was interesting reading recently um, extracts from the interview that Alex Ferguson did with the Harvard Business School saying that he thinks, you know, to have success at a club, it's not about 26 years, whatever, however long I've had. It's four-year cycles of what you, you know, you need to build your, your club around, the planning for, for four years at a time. And, you know, it, it's just, it is always sometimes a bit easy for fans just to hit the panic button, and chairman, to hit the panic button and think, Christ, we've had our worst start for 50 years or whatever it is. We need to catch up. You know, things can turn around. We, we've already cited a number of examples this season about clubs that have had poor starts and have gone mm. on to be promoted, let alone, you know, you know, recover to a respectable position. So it's bad for Millwall, bad for Sheffield United, bad for Bolton, but I wouldn't necessarily panic just yet. OK, um, I think we've actually done our 10 points already, but I thought, and we'll give you a bonus one this week, there'll be plenty of weeks where we can't reach 10, um, is uh, the last one is Leighton Orient, who have still got a 100% right. record. I wanted to, all I wanted to say about that is, you know, Leighton Orient, fantastic start to the season, 100% record, won every single game, you know, David Mooney, Kevin Lisby looking on fire, everything they hit goes in at the moment, Dean Cox is in great form, but who do they play on Tuesday night? They play on Tuesday night, Notts County. County. Bottom club, <laughs> lump on Notts County. It's worth doing because it happened. This is exactly the sort of thing Absolutely. which would you suggest, happens every now and again, doesn't it? Same in the championship with Millwall Blackpool. Yeah. Would you suggest doubling club, that with Millwall? Maybe yeah? do a double. You get good odds, won't you? <laughs> you certainly will. I stuck Millwall in my accumulator. It cost <laughs> me on Saturday. But they're going to win eventually. That. You had a cheeky. What, what was your win? Yeah, I'd, um, a decent, just fourfold on a couple of teams to score two or more. Cheeky, and 180 quid. What's the wedge? 180, 180 quid. Doesn't even mention it. Just oh, casually. As me, if I win a tenner, I'd be going mental. Anyway, Brentford's next. Sorry, not County. I'm going to try that again. Leighton Orient's next away game is at Brentford after they've played. And we're going to go. We're going to go. That's the next that show. Five four, given the current. That form, is it? next week. So next week, Monday night, live on Sky. It's Brentford <laughs> it's against Orient. Podcast live on Sky. Live on Sky. <laughs> we're we going to hijack the studio. We're going to. Sorry, be... Ed. Sorry, Gary. Sorry, Jamie. Move over. The B team's in. You have a week off. I don't think Ed and I Jamie. No, and Gary I don't are think Jamie there. and Gary are going to be at <laughs> Griffin Park. <laughs> Griffin Park, are they? So you might spot us on the telly uh, next week. So uh, we'll be there, and um, yeah, you'll be. Uh, you get to hear that. Maybe you. Bring later. your iPad. There might be a lot more editing to do <laughs> on that show next week. So uh, that's the the next show. If you want to get in contact with us in the meantime, um, website with all the blogs on as Dave said earlier is wearegoingup.co.uk. Twitter is Wagyu Podcast. SoundCloud is Wagyu Podcast. And have I missed anything else? iTunes. Dave's tour dates for one Dave's, <laughs> Dave's One Direction tour dates. All available online. We'll be back <laughs> from Griffin Park next week. Yeah. You're going to sing us out? No. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.